This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. No strings till the hank comes out. Make all the drunk girls scream and shout. We love it, we hate it. We're all just trying to make it in this crazy town. Welcome into the door report. It is episode 203. It is a Thursday night, January 26th, a couple days away from Vanderbilt. Traveling up to College Station to take on the Aggies at Reed Arena. We'll talk about that. Coming up with Coach Ron Bargatze, former Vanderbilt basketball assistant under Roy Skinner. In the heyday of Vanderbilt and Memorial Gym, we'll reminisce on the good old days and much more with Coach B. But first, a few words on Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Family owned and operated for more than two decades, Alaco Fine Wood Floors is Nashville and Middle Tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors. Since 1995, Jimmy Alaco and his army of employees have embodied the approach of taking pride in one's craft and providing cus- superior excuse me, customer service, growing from a one-man shop to a team of 23 professionals who share the founder's passion for quality craftsmanship and customer satisfaction. If you're interested in contacting them, you can find their headquarters at 2505 Winford Avenue in Berry Hill, Give them a call at 615-356-0303 or log on to alacofinewoodfloors.com. We're also sponsored by Primus Bank, new sponsor of the show. Shout out to Kennedy Mathis, loan officer in MLS number 2179364. Kennedy has a passion for assisting families in realizing their dreams of home ownership. Contact Kennedy at 931-224-7684 or email him at kennedy.mathis at primusbank.com. Apply for a mortgage at primusbank.com today. Primus Mortgage has a solution for you. They've got cash-out refinance, first-time home buyer, rental properties, USDA loan, VA loan, vacation, and second home as well. Apply online today at primusbank.com or call 931-224-7684. All right, we got Coach Ron Bargatze coming right up. We preview Vanderbilt and Texas A&M coming up on Saturday. We asked Coach B, is there a light at the end of the tunnel for Vanderbilt fans, not just this season, but in the Stackhouse era down the road next season, two years from now, is there a light at the end of the tunnel uh, in the Stackhouse era? We talk about that with Coach B. We also reminisce on some of the good old days of Memorial Gym uh, back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, what that gym felt like being in there uh, from experience from Coach B. The F Troop is discussed at the end. Talking Hoops with Coach Ron Bargatze, former Vanderbilt assistant under Roy Skinner, is coming up. But first, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door.report. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. 
All right, let's get to the interview with Coach Ron Bargatze. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. A Laco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. Coach Ron Bargatze joins the podcast. He's known as Mr. Basketball in the Mid-State. I think you can call him that. He feels like he's coached at every local school. He's coached in East Tennessee. He's coached in the Mid-State. Who knows where else he's coached, but he was inducted into the TSSAA Hall of Fame back in 2018. He coached at Belmont, Tennessee Tech, Vandy, of course, Trevecca, and Austin P. He's also a radio color analyst uh, for Vanderbilt basketball for 15 years from 1985 to 2001. We'll get into that a little bit later uh, and assistant coach at Vanderbilt under Roy Skinner as well. So uh, coach, it's been a long, I think it, I think we had you on last season, but it's nice to have you back on talking a little Vandy hoops with, uh, with a lot of basketball left this season. Oh, glad to be here, Billy and, and Trevor. We're heck. This is, this is that, this is the time of year right now. We can see the tournaments a little bit in the, uh, out in the distance and uh, everybody's fighting to get in there and try to make their mark. So uh, it's a fun time. No doubt. And coach, I feel like we always try to have you on in this time of year to, to not just talk Vandy, talk a little SEC as well. But I was reading before we get into Vandy and kind of this season, I was reading that you grew up, you grew up a Vandy fan in the early 1950s. You saw the the prime of basketball in Nashville, in this city. And more importantly, the absolute snake pit that that was Memorial Gym for every opponent. Not that it isn't now, but it's not to the effect that it was. And Trevor and I, of course, we've heard so many stories about it. What made it so tough for opponents, not, not just when you coach, but even after you coached, after you left, being in the city and going to games there? And do you, do you believe it still has that same effect or can have the same effect? Absolutely, can it can. Uh, it's interesting. Let me tell you the first college game I ever went to, uh, I was a young guy, 1954. I was 11 years old and my uncle who lived up in Kentucky, uh, called me one night and said, I had two tickets to the game tonight and, uh, my fella got sick and I wonder if you want to go to the game. That game was the one game playoff in the 1954 college basketball season when LSU and Kentucky tied for the championship and they mm. played a one game playoff in Memorial gym. And the first, the first, first college game I ever saw. And I was totally mesmerized by Memorial gym. Those baskets hung from the ceiling and you could run under them forever and ever. They just hung out there <laughs> ready to, ready to shoot on great engineering, uh, the way that building was made. But then, uh, when they put the balconies in, they had to change the type goals they had and, so it wasn't as uh, wasn't as user friendly for the people behind the basket, but it was certainly nice for uh, for the, the game that, that's evolved over the years. Yeah, it's it's crazy looking back at you know what that gym was, what it is today, but it'll never lose that 
um, you know, that effect. I don't think it'll never lose the, with the students right there on you. I don't know if you've been to any games this year, but the students have, have, have been awesome and they've shown up and, and they've made impacts on games, but coach, I want to ask you this. We've talked about this in podcasts before about, it seems like every team shoots better in that gym. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what, why, but do you have an answer to that? I mean, what is it? Is there something about, about the air in there, about the goals? I mean, what, and, and even dating back, I've heard stories about uh, teams that may not be great shooting teams that go in that gym and they shoot well. Well, let me get, let me give you the real history of that and the real effect. Uh, I've worked a lot of camps over the years, even since I've been out of coaching and when I was in coaching and talked to a lot of players who came in as visiting teams, they loved coming here for a couple of reasons. One is uh, so much room around the court. Uh, that's what they all talk about. And the lighting is good. It is now. It wasn't quite as good back in the day, but now the lighting is really good and you can see those baskets out there. And it's just, uh, it's, it's like no interference shooting. It's like you can be out there uh, in July playing. Of course, the, that's another whole story because uh, we tried to get air conditioning done in that building over several years and never have taken uh, any, any no takers on that. And obviously <laughs> still not air conditioned. And it may be the hottest gymnasium in the summer I've ever been in. You, you probably been to camps there or something and know how that works. Oh, I was but at it, the Memphis game. I don't, Trevor, I don't know. If oh you were man. At the Memphis game. I was there. I'd never sweat so much in my life at that game. <laughs> it was even, bad. It's, even, uh, it's un unbelievable. The but it, it's a it's a perfect shooting background. You don't really see the people through the backboard. It, they're they're far enough away, and the court lighting allows you to be out there. And it's like everybody shoots good in that gym. And, yeah. it, it, oh, yeah. and every individual player will tell you it's their favorite shooting gym. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I talked about it the other day. Um, you know, especially in the city now that the city has that effect. If people want to be in Nashville not only in Nashville, but in that type of a gym and that cool area. So, um, coach, I mean, you, you know, you've seen that gym and I know Trevor would like to ask you about that, how memorials change and the atmosphere over the years, but I want to get to, uh, you were, you worked with four different play-by-play -play guys in your 15 years as a radio color analyst for basketball games. I'm sure you've been asked this question. Do you have a favorite that you were able to work with or, or, or any stories from, from back in the day, uh, from, from 85 to, to the early two thousands when you were, you were doing uh, color games? Well, uh, of course, George Plaster's fourth, uh, on my, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I, I've always loved working with George because George understands the game and it's, you know, it's kind of like two guard, two guys in a bar drinking their Dr. Pepper and talking about a game. That's how I felt working with George. But the first guy I worked with was Charlie Mack Alexander mm -hmm. and, uh, Charlie Mack was first, and then George came along for a while, then Wes Durham, and then Joe Fisher. So uh, I didn't dislike any of them. They were all great guys to work with. And uh, But I, I would say that as a color analyst, if you're doing, if you're doing a color an, an analysis in a radio game, it's a totally different world than doing it on TV. TV. Yeah. On, on TV, uh -huh. you know, the color guy is kind of the star of the show, and he kind of lets you know you can talk over the action. But when you work with the, in the radio side of things, then you've got to get in and get out quickly. So your comments have got to be brief and on point. And uh, so uh, being a color guy, they ought to pay you double than they do radio because of how much more you have to work. <laughs> we got Coach Ron Bargatze, former Vanderbilt assistant under Roy Skinner, uh, on the show with us. Trevor, what you got for him? 
Coach, uh, a couple questions. Um, first off, the Vanderbilt recently um, just played Kentucky. There was, um, from fans, a lot of hope, I feel, going into this game, thinking that Vanderbilt could maybe keep it close. I know specifically at the big position, um, Oscar Sheboy is a menace, I guess, no matter who he plays, um, especially against a Vanderbilt team that was uh, undermanned, is putting it lightly. Uh, at the five spot. Um, first off, how much uh, of the Kentucky game did you watch? Um, Every second of se- it. Perfect. <laughs> and then secondly, I I was listening to a little bit of you uh, uh, with Billy and George Plaster today, and, and you made a comment about how um, it sort of surprised you how much Jerry Stackhouse substituted. If you could sort of talk about that, maybe give a little insight on um, the sort of rotations that you saw Jerry Stackhouse use with the five players on the court, because with fans, we obviously don't know as much basketball as you do, but to the fans, it looks like he's sometimes he's just throwing out five guys with have no sort of cohesion. And it doesn't make any sense to us, but you as a coach know the basketball you've seen, can you see like, the five that he's throwing out at any time and be like, okay, well, this might be the reason he's throwing them out there or so-and-so. Well, it, when I go to any game, whether it's high school, college, or, and I don't go to pro games, I've watched a lot of them actually now because I, I love three-point shooting, but uh, <laughs> most coaches are second-guessed most of the time about who they have in the game and why so-and-so didn't get any more minutes and then they did. And they did. Uh, I think anytime, and, and I watched an awful lot of Belmont games during the Rick Bird era and now Casey Alexander, uh, I go to all their games and, uh, I can tell you right now, if you play a lot of players, you're going to end up with bad combinations sometime combinations that are either weaker on defense or weaker offensively because you lose or, and gain, uh, sometimes by, about the combination of players you have in the game. And I thought, I thought with uh, uh, with the big man being out with his injury, Robbins, I, I thought that that really changes how you put what team you put on the floor and wh- mm-hmm. what they do best and which ones are most effective. Who would have ever imagined Dia coming in and making threes like Ooh. he did? That was a that was a that was a shocker, a great surprise. And theoretically, if you have a Sheboy in the game and he's matched up against Dia. And he makes four or five three pointers. Darn, that that looks like a winning combination. Yeah, uh, yeah. get it, any way any way you can get Sheway uh, away from the basket. Now Rick Bird and Casey Alexander do this, but Rick Bird particularly would start his offenses always with a high ball screen with his one man and five man or two guys who uh, a bit an inside and outside player to see how they're going to switch or hedge and recover and and how they play that defensively. And if you get people, some people will still switch even one in five uh, on a ball screen. So uh, the whole theory of getting your offense started sometime is is how you get it started without being forced out on the court further than you want to be. If they can take you out of your offense a little bit by doing that. So uh, theoretically, the Shibway uh, getting away from the basket would be optimum because of what a great rebounder he is and defender when you know when balls when they come into the paint against him so uh i, I think coach stackhouse had a pretty big chore on his hands having to figure out how to 
neutralize what Shibway can do. Shibway's a guy that can go 28 and 15 on you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the other night, uh, the, the numbers were much lower, but they were pretty effective. And then you've got a, a, a guy uh, who can come in and, and, and make make threes off the bench, and that changes your whole uh, attitude about things. Frederick, you know, can really light it up. Got a great reputation, and, and re- rightly so, as a three-point shooter. And of course, you got Toppin in there. He's a hard guy to match up with. So it was a, it was a really a checker game on how to offset Shibway's uh, dominant dominating ability and get points yourself. And mm-hmm. and but I thought I thought uh, he ended up there with some tough lineups, either defensively or to have the flow you want on offense. No, yeah, that's great. And so speaking of Liam, uh, obviously. Going into the season, Vanderbilt had high expectations for him, fans alike. And up until his injury, I feel like he fulfilled every single one of those hopes and dreams that Vanderbilt fans had for him. He was playing at a great level. Um, With him being out, and not just Liam, but then your next big up in Lee Dort, how do you – where does Vandy go from here in in game plan-wise? Is it – playing Malik Dia more and just hoping that you can bring that big out to the perimeter or is it going small and putting Miles Studi at five more often than you want to that we saw? I don't know. It's a, that, that's a, it's a chess match in a lot of ways. And you do, you do the same thing against Kentucky as you do against LSU or mm-hmm. Ole Miss. And, and, you know, it, we, we all like to think that coaches have an answer for everything, but they're experimenting. Uh, they have to experiment some because they've got to figure things out on a game-by-game basis. So, uh, you know, A&M's coming up here soon, and that's going to be a whole different world because they're going to guard you when you get off the bus. They're going to get after you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And and that's going to create some potential problems. But uh, And I think the, that the point guard position has been solid for Vandy this year, and and uh, I, don't, I wouldn't have any complaints there. I, I would mm-hmm. like to, you know – Studi, I think, is a very, very talented player. And if he takes good high-percentage shots, he's a really good player. If he – you know, sometimes he has a uh, – he rushes shots and, and he's not really on balance when he takes them. And I think that hurts them. And it kind of – you know, anytime scorers take bad shots, everybody that, – that, that's a – that kind of poisons the water for everyone. And uh, so having that kind of a – having that kind of a – problem if you will because studi is a guy that if i game plan for vandy i'd be really afraid of what he's capable of doing so that's a that's a and you know thomas is going to can light it up i mean mm-hmm. you know, they've had some games where they've shot and shot the get ball from three-point range unbelievably well so mm-hmm. uh, i don't know it's it's a guessing game i think that uh, coach stackhouse right now is really you know spending some time with his staff figuring out, you know, who the guy, who the right guys are, you know, the hockey does the, uh, the plus minus system. And that's not all bad for basketball uh, because sometimes that can identify someone yeah. who's a weak link in the chain. Yeah. Coach, you, you talked about Malik Dia. I mean, what, what he was able to do against Shibway, Shibway, Shibway looked like he was caught off guard. You know, he, he didn't expect Dia to go out there and st- hit some step back threes on him. I mean, he hit a couple, he hit one in the corner that was unbelievable. I mean, he's fallen out of bounds. So, you know, with him, coach, 
if you're Coach Stackhouse right now, we know how tough it is right now. To, I mean, they got A&M, and then you got Alabama. You get in a little bit – it gets a little bit easier with Ole Miss. But with Malik Diaz specifically, what, what do you do with him? I mean, do you put him in more pick-and-pop situations? You got to play him more right now. I mean, there's no other option. But have has he kind of found something with Dia w- without Robbins and Dort? I mean, do, do they go to that more now? I don't know. It's, it, it's the problem that Vandy has all the way down the line when it comes to personnel. And that is they've got some really good players that deserve from game to game more minutes. And yet when, when you, you, your memory of what a guy has been able to do in certain situations, you know, makes you lean in that direction a little bit. And, and they, it's, they really have 10 or 11 guys that can really have good games or, or good periods in games. And it's a tough situation because it's, there's not, you don't have a, a Shibway and a Toppin uh, that you know are going to get your yeah. points and rebounds. Uh, you got guys that can go for eight and three, or they got guys that might go 12 and six on the boards. So tough, tough situation. It's, I remember Rick Bird telling me one year, uh, he ended up, we used to talk a lot when he was coaching there about things that they did. And one year he called me and he says, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is different. He said, I always had, you know, my, my starters and, and maybe three other guys that you knew who's going to be in, who's playing with who, uh, whom. And, and it was uh, pretty easy to figure those things out. And he says, I've got 11 or 12 guys that are pretty close. And that's when he started using a lot of players uh, mm-hmm. and, and they ran in, in that a lot. And Casey Alexander does a lot of that now himself. And to see Casey, uh, I look out there soon and I say, how is this team going to score points? And they figure out a way to get it done. And the same way with Rick and the same way with any coach, when, once he gets his, his rotation down pat. Coach, uh, another we – we're staying on, on, uh, on subject of, of sort of these younger players like Malik Dia. We've seen throughout the season guys, obviously like Malik Dia, who had a, a really breakout uh, game the other night. Um, Colin Smith has been playing really good minutes. And whenever he's in the game, someone like Noah Shelby has shown – some real, real flash. Now, obviously the issue is if they don't get enough minutes, they can't get used to the flow and the pace of the game, and they can look a little rusty. Um, I think that's just part of, of being a freshman um, and learning how to play SEC basketball. But from what we saw on um, the other night, Jerry Stackhouse specifically, um, when asked about Jordan Wright's lack of minutes in the second half, um, and I, I thought this was a great comment, uh, and I think it's something that we should see more of. He sort of called Jordan out and said, we can't have sloppy play like that from our seniors. Whenever – if you're a coach and you look down the bench and you see guys sitting who you know have talent, who are younger guys but are unproven, how do you justify putting them in over someone like a Jordan Wright who, yeah, he's – He's not putting up the numbers right now in his shots. His easy shots aren't falling at the rim, but who has been in the program for three or four seasons and has shown you that he can do it. How hard is it to pull that trigger and just let the young guys go? Well, I think uh, every coach has to have a, it's all about trust. You know, you, some guys, you, it's very easy to use them and throw them in there whenever you want to. Uh, the, if you don't trust a guy and things are tight and you're back and forth, you can't have a junior or senior shooting bad shots, low percentage shots, and you can't have guys 
hoping passes get through in a crowd. And, and that goes back to that trust factor. Who's going to give you solid minutes and not cost you possessions in the, in the guts of the game? So uh, every coach has to deal with that. And, and having, having trust for a guy who's a good system player goes a long way in their minutes they get. Mm -hmm. So looking at the schedule uh, for Vanderbilt, they've got at A&M on Saturday, then at Alabama, and then they got Ole Miss at home and then Tennessee at home. So obviously when you've got a chance to beat a good team at home, you know, you got to do that if you're Vanderbilt right now, but it feels like they're going to have to pull off an upset or two down the stretch of this season to have a shot potentially at, at a, at a bubble NCAA tournament berth uh, to even get back onto the bubble, you know, try to try to stack some quality wins I mean, at 18 and 13, say they that that's best case. That's my best case. They finish 18 and 13, mm -hmm. maybe maybe win a game or two in the SEC tournament. You finish 11 and 7 in the SEC. Would you agree, Coach? I mean, what, is there a win, a, 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 the 20 win mark? Do they need to get there? Uh, 19 wins. I mean, w with this team, what do you think a barometer is for them to, to potentially start being cons even considered for the bubble and then in, in the NCAA tournament? Well, there's nothing uh, optimistic about playing, you know, three of the top teams, the top 10 mm -hmm. teams in the country coming up. And uh, Ole Miss looks like a game that, uh, you know, you got to win. But those other three are going to be really, really tough wins. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I, I think that, uh, of course, this, these two uh, games coming up with A&M and Alabama, they have got to figure out some way to something good to come out of those games and not – not lose confidence, not lose the camaraderie that the team uh, needs to have again, you know, home and away and get, trying to get into the tournament. And uh, I, realistically, I would guess, uh, I, I would not guess best case scenario. I would guess probable scenario is uh, 14 or 15 wins maybe. So yeah. uh, Coach Stackhouse mm -hmm. is going to have a, he's got a big job on his hand. These next two weeks are big, uh, uh, I guess come to Jesus type situations. Yeah. They better, they better get it done. So come out of these next four games, you know, if they could get two wins out of the next four games, I think they have momentum. If they don't get just the Ole Miss game, it's going to be uh, kind of tough, but uh, you know, you got, you got games at every turn in the SEC where you better have your A game ready or you're not, you're not going to come out of there with a win. No, it's now or never, do or die time. And we've talked about it, you know, Coach, over the last couple years specifically. In the last three and a half seasons, Vandy is 16 and 43 in the SEC under Coach Stackhouse. They haven't really come close to the NCAA tournament. They lost by double digits this year to Southern Miss. They were upset by Grambling State, both games at Memorial Gym. How would you, as a former assistant at Vanderbilt and, and been watching Vanderbilt basketball over the years, from your experience watching basketball, but also this team this season, how would you assess the last four years of the Vanderbilt basketball program? And is there a light at the end of the tunnel? I think a lot of fans are asking that, Coach. <laughs> is there is there a future here? Is there potential with this this recruiting class coming in, the guys that are here now? Where's the is there light at the end of this tunnel, um, or or is you know or is the future sort of bleak? I mean, how, how do how do you look at this this past? three or four seasons. If every coach in the SEC is going to tell you one thing, that is Bandy plays hard. They, they're a tough out. They play really, really tough and on the defensive end. Uh, they're, they're a game you really have to – a team you have to really game plan for. 
And so everyone's going to looks at them that way. Now it's, it's in Vandy's corner to be able to put some teams away and, and, and they've had some periods in games where they had, you know, they were four down with so much time to go. And next thing you know, they're 10 or 11 down and, and taking those negative periods of games away it would be huge. And sometimes you do that because you're not, you, somebody's got to make big baskets. And, and uh, I just think that uh, it, it's going, they're going to have to find themselves and they're going to have to find out what the right combinations are. They've got to make big shots, and they're capable of doing that. They've got some really scary guys. I mean, I think Lawrence has had a really, yeah. really good season. I, I think he's been phenomenal. And I would say probably uh, if everybody's healthy and everybody's there, uh, Lawrence and Robbins have got to be really great at their position. And then those other guys, those rights and those uh, 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 studies and, and, and uh, Thomas, They've got to do what they do best and do it at the right time. Coach, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up here, but we'll we'll look ahead to the Texas A&M game. Um, like you said, they're a type of team that as soon as you get off the bus, they're going to guard you. My uh, any anytime we play any of these sort of teams, um, you you know my dad. Uh, he he always references those '90s Arkansas teams, the 40 minute and hell teams, just to where they would mm. press you all game long and you play really good defense. Uh, and I feel like every time Vanderbilt plays any sort of team that's really aggressive on defense, um, not just this season, all my life, really, I feel like it's just ended up really, really poorly. And just for some strange reason, Vanderbilt, <laughs> in my mind, has always had a really tough time defending really or going against really aggressive um, defensive teams. Um, you look at Radford, he's a lockdown defender. Um, he's improved his scoring ability a lot, so he's going to be a double threat on both ends of the court. Um, Vandy travels to College Station for a really tough matchup at Reed Arena on Saturday. Um, what sort of chances do you give Vanderbilt on Saturday, and what do they have to do to possibly come out with a win? Well, one thing they've got to do is have some pressure releases in their offense. A&M's going to overplay passes. They're going to really make it tough to make entry passes to the post. Uh they're going to they're going to switch some, but they're going to fight over screens a lot. And uh, so Vandy's got to do some things to take that pressure off some backdoor plays, uh, isolations where a guy can can have to get it done without any help defense and score against those tough defenders. So uh, I think their only chance to win in College Station uh, and against Alabama would be to make sure they don't have a, too many empty possessions along the way. And they've got to do something to relieve that pressure defense. One more follow-up question. Just in your in your coaching experience, um, a lot of these sort of teams who are really aggressive on defense, um, they can create a lot of turnovers. But like you said, if you call certain sort of plays or schemes, um, you can really get around get them, them and get them reaching. You can get them in foul trouble, or you can find yourself easy buckets. And in your coaching experience, and this is more of a personal question for you, did you prefer playing against those sort of really aggressive defenses? Because in your mind, you thought, okay, if we can scheme up something here, we can get around them. Or anytime you saw a sort of team that, like you said, would guard you right off the bus and was face guarding you the whole time, were they sort of like those nuisance teams? Yeah, the, uh, as, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, who's, who's going to get a big basket for you that keeps uh, a lot of momentum going 
uh, stops the momentum another team has or creates momentum for yourself. And like I said, we had very smart players throughout the 70s. We were fortunate to have really guys that had high basketball IQs, and we had some really nice pressure release plays uh, where if the guy overplayed, you know, we'd, we'd have a rear screen or a backdoor cut uh, and getting the ball in the hands of those guys that can score. You know, look back at a, at a Terry Compton or a Butch Fear, and they have, had their own way of doing things uh, during my days there. And the 70s were probably maybe the best decade ever for Vandy basketball. And we were fortunate to have smart players, good shooters, and good leadership. I mean, how much better leader can you have than Jan Van Bredikoff? I mean, he, mm -hmm. uh, he, mm -hmm. he played point, point guard on offense and guarded the, the five-man on defense. That's a, that's a rare combination, and we had good success because of those kind of things. Who's gonna Who's gonna be able to keep Butch Fear from get, taking the ball in the paint with all his long arms and able, ability to get the shot off? You got to have somebody that can man up there and get it done individually or as a team, relieve that pressure with the backdoor cuts or rear screen or something that takes that what I'd call guys that try to chew your numbers off on defense. You know, got to neutralize them some way. They didn't call him the F troop for no reason, huh, Coach? <laughs> well. Wow. I tell you, every time I hear the word F Troop, I, I remember Joe Ford. He had one of the best quotes I ever had heard from a player uh, against Kentucky as a freshman uh, in the two games against them. I think he was something like 13 or 14 inside mm. the final five minutes from the free throw line. And as a, as a senior, he missed the front end of a one and one and both ends of a two shot foul one night. And I said, Joe, how do you explain that? He said, it took me a while to learn how to choke. So <laughs> Man, I didn't have anything you, I didn't have anything to say after that. That tells you about their Man. confidence. That's awesome. Yeah. Coach, appreciate the time. I know you got to run. Uh Vandy and AM coming up on Saturday. It's always great to have you on. And uh hopefully Vandy can start to uh string together some wins here down the stretch. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. And tell yeah. tell Tommy and 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 the and the great queen hello for me. <laughs> I will. I, I texted him last night and said I would be on a on a podcast with you. And uh, and my mom said that you were one of the nicest people she's ever met. And my dad said hello, and he uh he loves chatting bandy hoops with you. <laughs> All right, Thanks, guys. guys. Thank you.